Welcome to the Global Village Law and Money Podcast, where we help foreign nationals build a successful life in the United States. I'm your host, Shannon McNulty, a tax and estate attorney in New York City, and I'm joined by my co-host, Steve Maggi, an immigration attorney in St. Petersburg, Florida. In each episode, we share insights gained from advising thousands of foreign nationals moving to or living in the United States. From how to get a green card to saving money on taxes, we provide valuable tips on building wealth, protecting your family, and navigating the U.S. immigration system. We're so glad you could join us today. Let's get started. Welcome to this episode of the Global Village Law & Money Podcast, where we're going to be talking about cross-border retirement planning. This is an issue that comes up all of the time when people are crossing borders, if they have retirement accounts or if they're working and they're contributing to their retirement. And I'm really excited to have our guest on today, Alice Pack. She's the Chief Strategic Advisory Officer at Brown Advisory. Welcome, Alice. Thank you, Shannon. It's really nice to be here. And this is a topic that gets a lot of questions as people are becoming more global all the time, whether it's their jobs or their families or any number of reasons that people are moving around a lot more around the globe. These are really important questions, so I'm happy to be here to talk about it today. We're thrilled to have you. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your work with cross-border clients? Sure, absolutely. Well, Brown Advisory, we are a global investment management and strategic advisory firm. About 60 to 65% of the work that we do as a firm is focused on individuals, families, foundations, and endowments. And as part of that work, we are constantly working with families that have family members who are moving around, whether it's going from the U.S. to Canada, whether Canada to the U.S., U.K. tends to be sort of a popular destination, but actually increasingly it is really sort of all over the globe. We have a large presence in London, and that also has brought in a number of expats that work with our private client team there. So we've really developed quite a lot of expertise in the area and in fact, a growing network of experts because it does get complicated quickly. And we'll get to kind of the key takeaways at the end, but it does take a team, an expert team to kind of get this done right and to avoid surprises along the way. So retirement planning, when anybody is doing financial planning, retirement planning is one of the key parts of that. But this can become a lot more challenging when somebody is crossing borders, either they're going somewhere for work or they're going somewhere for other things to be with family. Can you tell me a little bit about like the unique challenges that it presents when we're not just talking about one country? Yes, absolutely. Well, beyond kind of the basics of traditional account structures for retirement planning, The approach that we take kind of starts with the fact that what our clients are really trying to do is maximize the accumulation of wealth kind of during their working years and plan for a tax-efficient distribution of that wealth so that they can kind of maximize the dollars that they have to live, invest, gift, support their communities. So it's really kind of a broader picture of 
How are we accumulating wealth in ways that help to support our long-term goals? And how are we distributing that over time in a very tax-efficient way? So that actually doesn't differ from if you're in the U.S. entirely or where you're global. When you start to move around, that starts to become a lot more complicated because you have to start to pay attention as to where is your tax domicile? What filing requirements do you have? What is your tax year and your reporting structure? Will your plans that you have set up to accumulate wealth on a tax-efficient basis be recognized in other jurisdictions? So it really kind of starts with trying to look a little bit into a crystal ball and kind of envision the future, both in terms of time that you may stay in one geography and what's the best plan and where you ultimately think those assets are going to be distributed and what's the best plan to kind of get to that tax-efficient access to liquidity to fund retirement income and to kind of have the most of that you can you want to have available to you as well as kind of the most amount of flexibility. That is a lot. And I think it just goes to the complexity of the nature of financial planning for people who are crossing borders. I know even just like in the United States, and so some of our listeners may not even be familiar with the rules are in the United States. And even just here, even if we're just planning in the US, I feel like it can become complicated. Just off the top of my head, I can think of like five different types of, or seven different types of retirement accounts. You have a SEP IRA, you have Roth IRA, you have 401k, 403b. There's so many different types of accounts out there. So can you just explain a little bit about how the U.S. retirement system is structured and the bit of the framework of what that looks like and what people here in the U.S need to think about and how you would go about even just domestic planning? Sure. So there is a lot of rhyming that goes on kind of across mostly developed countries where there is an incentive that countries want to put in place for people to save for their retirement. So what happens in the U.S., I'll talk about that in terms of retirement accounts, but there are oftentimes corollary structures that can exist in other places where the basic premise is, is that while you're working, there are opportunities to defer some of your earnings into retirement accounts. I'll use the example, many the most common corporate plans would be a 401k or a 403b. Within limits, you can defer a certain amount of your income, oftentimes pre-tax, so that can, it can be invested, it can grow on a tax-deferred basis. Many years later, as those distributions come out from that plan, it will be taxed at an ordinary income rate, but presumably at a time when your ordinary income rate is much lower it is than when you were earning it. So their benefits are kind of really twofold. One is that you get tax deferred growth on a pre-tax dollar. And as the distributions come out, presumably you're in a lower income tax bracket. That just describes kind of the, the overall basics. But I think there's been a lot of work in the last couple of years in this country to kind of enhance that structure. The Secure Act kind of 1.0 and now 2.0 have done things like added some additional savings for workers that are over age 50 so they can accumulate even more or extended the period from age 70 to 73 where you're required to start taking distributions from that so you at least have the maximum amount of time for tax deferral and flexibility. On the other end of things that are a little less 
flexible is that the funds that you defer into retirement accounts need to stay in retirement accounts. There are some limited exceptions around the edges, but the price you pay for getting great tax deferred growth is you've got limited use of those funds for a long time, at least until you're 59 and a half, which plays into this conversation. So if you were to withdraw those funds early, there are taxes and penalties due, which actually take away from your ability to accumulate for long-term wealth. So one of the questions, one of the coming back into this conversation, a conversation that we have with clients who are considering funding a U.S. plan but may not stay is can they live with those rules? Because they may end up funding a plan, be in another country and say, okay, it's time to move to withdraw from that account. Well, you wouldn't want to do that if somebody was under the age of 59 and a half because you're just bringing on you're accelerating taxes and you're bringing on penalties that wouldn't otherwise be accessible if they had waited, presuming that there's a tax treaty with that country that can be avoided, but it's something you need to plan for. I think I should also say that many of the executives that we work with think about retirement planning, not only being the traditional accounts that they can help to, that they can fund and save for retirement, but there are lots of different ways that executive compensation helps people to accumulate wealth. And I will not underemphasize that as people start moving around to different countries, executive compensation may be one of the most complex topics because you have stock options or restricted stock units and things like that that have a grant date, a vesting date, an exercise date, all of which may, for some of our clients, occur while they are being taxed by different jurisdictions. And so it gets really complicated and having some expert advice in those moments is really critical. So it sounds like in terms of just overall, I think we we can understand that various countries have these frameworks set up that encourage retirement planning and they are done so, that's done so really with tax advantages. And in the US, you can put money in, it's not taxed at that time but it can grow and then you can take it out when you're in retirement. But it seems like if you're not permanently living in the U.S., maybe you're going to go back to your home country, then you're going to be subject to different rules at that point, possibly, right? That is true. But sometimes that's not a negative. Sometimes actually that can be a positive. So oftentimes there is a tax treaty between countries And that tax treaty will get kind of as specific to say retirement plans will be respected, right? So the the idea that like a U.S. 401k or IRA where you've got money that was placed in these accounts that will grow tax deferred, that tax deferral, it's not a given that your new country of residence will take that as a, that tax deferral will be able to continue. So that's sort of a point one is that as you're thinking about looking into the future and thinking about where might I land, whether that's someone coming into the U.S. or going out, understanding that tax treaty is really important because it can surprise people where they may have to do things like withdraw early from a retirement plan or they may have to divest of a certain investment. Things like that are real surprises that we try and work hard to kind of have our clients avoid. But many countries for like retirement planning purposes will actually respect the shell of a retirement plan, allow for tax deferral. And then when those funds come out, you will get taxed 
in the local jurisdiction. Now, many people who are kind of resident in the are U.S. citizens that then move abroad. Once you are a U.S. citizen, you are taxed on worldwide income, and it is very hard to kind of remove yourself from what we would call that tax net. And so these treaties also are in place so that as you are looking at your worldwide income and you are required then to file in two jurisdictions, that you're not paying double tax. You're essentially paying the higher of the two, but you're not paying double. So it tends to be more expensive when you move around different jurisdictions and are funding and taking distributions, but it doesn't typically result in a double taxation event. So understanding the tax treaty is critical. When somebody is living here, say they're moving here for a job, do they need to think about these things in the beginning or can they kind of wait and plan for retirement and accumulate their 401k or their IRA and then they kind of make a decision later on and think about these issues or is this something they really need to think through up front? Most successful plans that we work on start with a view before someone boards the plane. And in fact, actually, it's actually an advance of that so that they have some time to think through what their options are and make some well-considered decisions about how they're going to approach the move to a new country. I will give you a quick example of Canada coming to the U.S. Oftentimes, if you are coming from Canada to the U.S., the Canadian tax authorities will say, we are going to consider that your assets are liquidated and we're going to charge a tax as you cross the border, kind of a capital gains type tax. But that can be a real surprise to people if they haven't actually planned for that and they haven't actually considered kind of what that means and how they can think about, again, that kind of tax efficient wealth accumulation is done much more successfully if you can avoid those surprise events. On the flip side, you know, thinking about U.S. to Canada, we have a number of clients who go that way as well. And they may be, say, I know this is really around retirement planning, but really retirement planning requires kind of a view of an entire financial picture. And if they are, say, the beneficiary of a trust, there's some very special planning you can do to make sure that they can access funds in a very tax-efficient way. Some of that has to do with the timing of what you may be able to do in the first couple months of the year versus the rest of the year. It's the Canadian version of how they look at income versus the U.S. version of how you look at income. But really understanding those differences can really matter in the net funds that someone who's moving around kind of keeps in their pocket. So it seems like the earlier that you can start and looking at these issues, the better off you'll be and the more options you'll have. Yes, there's no question about that. Not only thinking about how you will kind of accumulate assets, fund retirement accounts, that analysis extends to the assets that you've already accumulated. We have a number of clients who say move to the US from the UK. And when they have been invested in mutual funds or other that are very acceptable to hold as a UK resident. But as they come into the US, they are considered passive foreign investment companies and come with a very serious tax charge for holding them. 
So that's another analysis that we do is that to us, that's sort of a tax that's avoidable, right? If you can take a look at this up front and you can review someone's situation in its totality, not just their retirement plans, but their other assets and what they own, you can make a real difference in the taxes, fees, and penalties that they pay as they are making that transition. There are so many pitfalls, and I'm seeing clients fall into that particular one of not realizing that things that they were holding in another country, once they move here, they are now can be brought into the U.S. tax net and be treated very differently, even if they are only here for a year or two. That's right. That's exactly right. We say all the time that someone announces that they're going to be moving to a new country and some people, the reaction is to, you know, send a bottle of champagne and to celebrate. And for us, it's to kind of like dig into what do they own? What's the tax treaties? What do they need to do before they go? But that's a really important analysis because it is immediate tax savings typically. And that is sort of the name of, name of the game is not only should you be investing wisely, accumulating assets, but really having a tax Hole along the way can set you back years in your retirement planning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that all of these things that you're talking about, that kind of thinking of the bigger picture and any time that you're moving, I think for even a sort of a temporary period or permanent period, or you're changing your immigration status, that it can really save you so much money by getting a full analysis of what the options are and what are the best ways of making, having investments or making retirement contributions. Yeah, I think one of the things that's interesting being in the United States, I don't think we think enough about what happens when people move from state to state, because, you know, we have such a wide range of taxing authorities and the way people do things. It's not quite as complicated, but it's not entirely a dissimilar thought process to think about what you could be doing in the here and now if you are at my home base is now in Austin, Texas, and I work with several clients in California. If I were moving from Texas to California, I'd think a lot about what I might need to sell from my portfolio to get things organized exactly how I want them before I move. And I avoid kind of immediate tax of 13, 14%. And that starts to add up to real money. So we've got the issue. Cross-border is is a big deal when you're moving countries. And my point is, I think we also think about it a lot when we're moving states from a tax and like from a wealth preservation perspective. Yeah, or how we should be thinking about it. Because I think a lot of people, they just make that move and then they don't really think about it. And then it could end up really being costly for them. And I know being in, based in New York, that taxes are on a lot of people's minds. And we see a lot That's of people, right. sometimes they have a house in Florida and yeah. maybe they'll end up spending more time there because it will reduce their taxes. But I think the more that you can look at those issues beforehand, the better off that you'll be. Absolutely. So Alice, can you take me through an example of maybe, you know, I know you can't talk about specific clients, but just take an example of maybe a client that you've worked with and what the process is for how that has played out? 
I surely can because it really is a process and the, the details can differ pretty significantly as you go through because much depends, as we've been talking about, about where the person is in their kind of their journey to kind of for earnings, what their asset base looks like, where is it that they're moving from versus where they're moving to, what's their position kind of as a oftentimes, you know, and I'll give an example of a, a U.S. citizen moving to Canada as a quick example. A U.S. citizen moving to Canada as a young person and someone with a, an earning stream ahead of them and some ret- and retirement to save for, it really starts with kind of taking a look at what their overall asset picture looks like. How long do they intend to kind of stay abroad? What is it that, like, what are their sources of income? Is it all kind of coming from a paycheck or are there other sources as well? It involves kind of making sure that we engage the right team, our clients who move across borders. We are frequently looking to enhance their accounting team in particular so that we know that there are no missteps on filing. Different countries have different tax deadlines and due dates. For a U.S. citizen, as an example, and even on a U.S. filing for a foreign resident, as soon as that person opens a bank account and funds it with as little as $10,000, they have a new filing requirement in the United States through the FBAR filing. So that's one where we see clients get tripped up regularly on that. So it's really walking through with them every step of the way, what the choices are they're making, what are the assets that they're bringing Canada, for example, can have a view on your overall investments, whether they're in the U.S. or Canada, but they don't necessarily have a close view on other family assets like trusts and other things that may be worth kind of making sure there are some pretty clear lines and delineations about how cash flows are moving to kind of fund the lifestyle of that person if that's needed or funding their savings and retirement accounts how they're purchasing properties, things like that. It's really kind of a, not just looking at retirement accounts, it's actually kind of getting reestablished in a new country and making sure that you are thinking broadly about what the U.S. will tax on and then what Canada will tax on and how to kind of maximize the combination of access to liquidity, cash flow, savings plans, all of that to kind of match that person's life with the overlay of this excess complexity and having the right team in place, particularly on the accounting side, can be very important. Once that person is in Canada in this example, it is an annual, at least annual process to make sure that everything is going smoothly, going right, that we haven't missed anything, that there's nothing new that has come up. And in the example of my client who is a young person moving, moved to Canada as a student, was on a student visa, then it turned into a work assignment, met the love of her life, got married, and has now just had a child. So she is quickly going through a lot of the phases of life, and we've worked with them on purchasing a property and getting that done appropriately but also on the retirement planning side, really digging in and understanding kind of the benefits that they have available to them in Canada and how they should be thinking about deferred income from those plans into their plan. I think a very important part of the process is how long do you intend to stay? In many situations, 
taking advantage of retirement accounts makes good sense because of the tax savings that you get and the ability to defer that tax. But if your intention is to stay for a year and then go back, maybe it's not worth it to take on that level of complexity, right? Maybe it's not worth it to fund that retirement plan if you're going to be somewhere for a year and then know you're going to have, you know, $20,000 or something that would be a full funding plus some level of a corporate match that's going to be in a retirement account that you can't touch until you're at least 59 and a half but you have to deal with the complexity of maybe some additional filing, maybe thinking about what that looks like. So for the most part, retirement planning and the tax benefits can be extremely powerful. But if you are diving in and diving out of different jurisdictions for very short periods of time, sometimes that level, having that ongoing complexity isn't going to feel worth it. It's going to feel like a real nuisance over time if you've got to keep filing something for 30 years before you can access the wealth. I sense you've had a similar experience. Yeah, well, I'm just thinking of working with, there are so many rules and they're changing all of the time. And when we have situations like this, they need advisors in the US, right? And then they need advisors in the other country as well. And that's true no matter what country it is, because I can't advise on the legal issues of Canada or, or any other country. I'm only licensed in the U.S. And there are very few lawyers that are licensed in multiple countries. And then it can get even more complicated. You know, we have a, a husband who lived in the U.K. and then a, a wife who lived in France and she has a pension there and he has an account in the U.K. And then now they're starting here in the U.S. and maybe they're going to move back. Now we have three jurisdictions involved and now we have to have three different teams really of people advising on this. And so I think like we were saying, like, it can get complicated really fast and thinking about that beforehand of is it really worth it if we're not going to be staying here that long? Are the savings actually going to be worth it in the long run? That's right. That's right. I mean, I think really like if you can commit to a jurisdiction for a couple of years, and understand that there are going to be some ongoing rules and requirements, oftentimes that can be worth it, right? Saving for retirement is a really good thing to be doing and having that level of financial security. And so many of our clients, frankly, the funds go into their retirement account and they don't even think about them in terms of their overall immediate picture. People call that sort of forced savings that just accumulates and gets invested, that's all a positive for planning for retirement. But if it's only going to be a small part of your journey, I think you do need to think twice about the level of uh, ongoing kind of maintenance and compliance you're up for. That's such great advice. And it's been wonderful having you here and sharing your expertise with us. Can you give us three takeaways for our listeners on this topic of planning for their retirement when they're crossing borders? Yes, absolutely. I would say number one, start before you move, right? Don't let your feet off the ground before you've actually done some of the work and the analysis, even if it's to understand the complexity that's in your path. I'd say number two is engage the right team. Kind of Shannon, to your point just a moment ago, you will have to have a larger team to make this work and to avoid surprises, but it's generally worth it to have that team in place so that you don't pay unnecessary taxes and you can avoid penalties because both of those are kind of easy pitfalls to kind of fall into. 
I think the third piece is what we just talked about. If your stay is not going to be very long, you may want to think about accumulating savings in a very kind of straightforward way outside of retirement plans if your stay is going to be short. But the tax benefits over the long term, if your tax treaty is compliant with the other country, can be very powerful. You just need to have at least a few years of savings and an understanding of what's required beyond that to make that worthwhile. So I think those are my top takeaways. You know, just start early, have the right team, and really kind of look into that crystal ball and figure out how long you may be somewhere and what your long-term destination is likely to be. No one can say that for sure, but it helps with the planning if you can kind of foresee that path. That's great advice. Alice, how can listeners contact you if they wanted to reach out for your help? We have a wonderful website, brownadvisory.com. I'm also happy to share my personal contact information if people have questions that they want to seek additional guidance because this work is so customized, which is APAIC at A-P-A-I-K at brownadvisory.com. And we'd be happy to hear from some of your listeners. We've enjoyed the common work that we do together. And so I'm certain that your listeners, that we all kind of work in kind of a similar ecosystem. So I'd be happy to do that. Great. And we'll put that in the show notes if, in case anybody missed it. So Alice, thank you so much. Thanks. And I hope that this was a helpful episode for our listeners. So thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks for listening to the Global Village Law & Money Podcast. For more tips on protecting your family and building wealth in the U.S., subscribe to the Global Village Law & Money Newsletter by visiting www.globalvillagelaw.com.